Osiris. Can you play me a sneak peek? I can play it. I got it right here. Yeah, I need to hear it. Ah. We're backstage at Red Rocks ahead of Umphreys McGee's June 2022 shows, and Ryan Stasek just forgot the song we're supposed to discuss. Yes, I recall now. Thank you for the reminder. Ryan Stasek, vocals if you're lucky. I hate to use other bands because I, I wanted to be original to Umphreys McGee and have our own sound. But if, if I was forced to do that, like I feel like I am right now, I have a very Pink Floyd um, vibe with a, like a run like hell, like a, a 70s psychedelic, but get you off your feet, keep you moving dance vibe. And uh, I'm into that stuff. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm into it. We confirm that we all know Stasek is into keeping things moving. Turning to singer-songwriter Brendan Bayless, we return to a familiar theme of this series, driving. My first memory of hearing the song was being on the back of the bus when Jake pulled out his iPad and he's like, hey, I just wrote 35 songs. And he put them on and Pure Saturation came on and as soon as it was over, I was like, can you play that one again? Yeah, driving vibe is, for me, is always a good sign of a song. If you want to hear it in the car and you can picture yourself killing 300 miles to it, it's a good sign. Brendan Bayless, anti-Joel Cummins. Welcome back to Talking Circles, a podcast about Umphreys McGee's 2022 album, Asking for a Friend. With the record released, we're diving into the deep cuts to give you the inside scoop on everything that went into the band's new record. In this episode, we're focusing on the song that gave birth to this podcast's theme song, Pure Saturation. An older demo from Jake Sinninger, it was one of the dozens of tracks presented ahead of the 2020 songwriting sessions. We'll dive into the driving beat of the song, its connections with the band's heroes, and more. All of this was recorded live backstage at Red Rocks, ahead of the band's 2022 shows, as we literally were talking in a circle as a group about the album and where the band finds themselves at this point in their career. Uh, well, I remember this song was, uh, it was the first time we got together after lockdown. And we were, this was the first song that we recorded when we got together at Jake's. So I think that was my biggest memory of hearing the song. And it was, it, was a, it was a good vibe song when we were all just sitting at home for months, not sure what the hell's going on. That's Andy Farrig, the band's percussionist. The vibe he describes is an essential aspect of many of the songs on Asking for a Friend. Amidst lockdown and canceled gigs, the band dove back into their catalog of scrapped ideas for inspiration that would both reflect the current moment while looking ahead to the unknown and perhaps to brighter days. Yeah, pure saturation. It goes back quite a few years as far as the demo. I feel like, geez, eight years possibly is <laughs> aged. Aged like cheddar. But um, yeah, it's it's you know, fun cheddar. But it's it's got a, it, it is kind of has that run like hell vibe. But the, the thing about run like hell is that's a minor groove and this is that total major groove. So it's like a happy run like hell. You're very happy running through hell <laughs> in this one. And then the the Cars-like chorus, which Joel kind of does have the emphasis on that jam, 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 sort of eighth note pulsing, uh, yeah, pulsating uh, buzzsaw synth, which is very Cars-like. 
So it has that Pink Floyd, Floydian verse, and then it goes into the Cars-like chorus. As we've discussed throughout the series, Umphreys isn't afraid to give a nod to their songwriting heroes. Their influences and the artists they're listening to at the moment affect their overall creativity. That's something they're constantly mindful of. Turning back to Ryan Stasek. Um, I did like your question, um, what you're listening to, does it influence your writing? I would say absolutely, um, to the point where I actually have to stop listening to certain bands and certain styles because I don't want to perform or play in that style. Um, I enjoy listening to certain bass players and digging what they're doing with their strings, their effects, their the pick, tones, just different ways that they're approaching the bass. And then, you know, I don't want to say ripping off more of a tribute to see how I could borrow that and make it my own. And I think that's important when you're writing the song to see what fits, if it fits like that. Because you don't want to completely do something that sounds like the 1970s and just recycle it and put it out. You want to put your own spin on it. And all six of us listen to drastically different music. And I think that's important being in an improvisational band that when it goes to your turn to lead a jam and in your mind you're playing in a certain style that you're being influenced by and the other person is doing something to against what you're doing and it's completely not what you thought. And maybe that's a product of because that's what they're listening to and that's how they're interpreting how things happen. And that's what I love so much about playing with these guys. I know Brendan tried to throw the Indigo Girls on me, but we all know. The world knows that's you, homie. But when that stuff happens at night, you can kind of pick out when you go back and listen to if you, I mean, maybe you have a really big lawn and it takes you three hours to mow it and you listen to a whole show or something like that. But you can see through all the improvs kind of what people are into. You could you could make a an educated guess. Yeah, I felt that it was exactly what these guys described for influences. Um, like kind of David Gilmore solo record, more bright fresh sounds you would hear in the morning when you wake up. What's great is Brennan tied it all together with his vocal demos that he added later, which brought a whole more Umphreys element that brought it to life. Because Jake and Brennan worked very well together that way. They like they almost catered to each other while they're writing in the process, knowing what that other guy's going to put in later. And I think that's how that's the vibe I felt. I knew right away when I heard Brennan's vocals, like, oh yeah, that's that makes sense. After all these years of playing together, we kind of now understand the style features involved, the, you know, the direction. And like, when you get a feel of it, we almost have the same, we're on the same pulse in the process of it and not too many deviations or too many conflicts. So yeah, when I heard it, you know, with the vocals, then I was able to figure out what kind of tones on the, on the drum set would be most fitting for this. Because, you know, sometimes it might start out as like a, a rock more demo rock you know, bare bones kind of sound. And then when you add the vocals, it polishes it out and makes it more studio-esque. Which, with drums, you want to work on those timbres, make it deeper sounds, thuddier, warmer, etc. So yeah, that's that's how I uh, end up working with their direction, you know, for, the, for most albums, really. Hey, it's Chris Myers. I play drums, vocals. Once inspiration is struck, once an idea is proven viable, the band takes a methodical approach to building a song. No left turn is overlooked. No section of a song is off limits for new ideas, complex musical shifts, or intra-band communication. Each segment of a song is approached like a mechanic, reviewing the inner workings of a vehicle. I remember one roadblock in this was the original demo. We changed a key. So when, we, when I sang the words over Jake's demo, 
I thought it was done. And then when we got in the studio, I believe Joel wanted to change something. And we changed the key, and it kind of messed the melody up. So it took a little bit for me to change it. To f- we got there. But uh, there was a key change that may have been unnecessary. <laughs> well, yeah, Bren- Brendan doesn't know this about writing hit songs, but they say don't have the chorus go down a whole step. So, you know, the chorus always needs to be either up or in the same key. Um, and actually, you know, to, uh, to Brennan's uh, honor, I really enjoyed his original vocal arrangement. So I was a little disappointed we didn't get that key change back. But, you know, a hit's a hit. I didn't sign up or get in a line just to wait and see. You'll probably never really know. You never really let it go. Once in a while, maybe I'll be a magazine. And when you feel like flipping through, I'll be waiting right here for you. That's Joel Cummins, keyboardist for Umphreys McGee and the band's resident hitmaker. To really understand the dynamics at play within Umphreys McGee, you have to hang with the band as a larger group. Endless ribbing, inside jokes which have lingered for years, and a shared appreciation for what each member brings to the table is present from the moment you sit down with them. I think my first memories of this are from the It's Not You sessions because this was something that we were kind of fooling around with a while back at at Boondock. Jake had started it and... We had kind of like tried to work on it, and then decided that it didn't uh, didn't really fit the vibe of uh, of, of it's it's not us and uh, it's you. So it was one that I remember when we were talking about what we were going to do next. We kind of liked the overall vibe of the song, and I mean you can tell it really does fit with some of the other ones that are on there. So I believe the the piano part was something that Jake had pretty close already in there. I probably changed it a little bit. Uh, and then the synth stuff in the chorus, uh, I added that as we were trying to figure out, you know, what kind of sound would, would really work. And um, it does have kind of this Floydy, but also 80s vibe to it, which I think is cool. I, I think pure saturation is, it, the, the, I think this whole record, this new record, reeks of like certain eras, certain decades. New Wings has that 70s, mid-70s Paul McCartney kind of thing. You know, there's a lot of super trampy kind of vibes. There's a little more like 90s pulsating house sort of grooves, a little bit more unsy in areas, you know, uns uns. Pure saturation kind of has that linear like almost like driving down a highway and you turn it up and that sort of sixteenth note sort of cadence kind of leads to like tires rolling on a highway, you know, watching the watching the lines go by, you know. Honestly, the first time I heard it, the, within 30 seconds, my thought was this will be killer for New Year's Eve to either like go into the countdown or go out of the countdown. Enamored with the song, filled with ideas of what to add to it, and already imagining what it would be like to play the song in a peak live setting, Pure Saturation was yet another aha moment for the band in the songwriting and recording process of crafting Asking for a Friend. In addition, the song is a testament to the relationship between bassist Ryan Stasek and drummer Chris Myers. Focusing on how the two connect during the songwriting process, we hear the intuitive nature of how they connect around complex grooves. 
how did I find my groove? Have I found my groove uh, for pure saturation? And the easy part for me is that when I'm recording with Chris, he's uh, so professional and uh, tight with his pocket, it's pretty easy to find your part and fit in there nicely. Um, I'm always adjusting and hopefully improving and marinating and, and getting better as the song ages. So when we begin to perform it live, maybe I'll set into something a little more different. But in the studio, it's just natural because I'm lucky enough to perform next to this motherfucker. I think the last chord in the song is reminiscent of things we add later for finishing touches. The modal chord that they hit is a, is a really pretty chord. Instead of your average, you know, meat and potatoes root, you know, they add a little bit of some, like a, like a major minor seventh or dominant or sus, you know. I, I'm not really sure which one it is. It sounds sparkly. And then what I chose to do as a drummer, thanks, Joel. Actually, you're right. You're on point. For my drummer uh, perspective, I decided to be musical by not kick, playing a kick drum because it just seemed a little too harsh at the end. So I did like a swooping like crescendo of a cymbal to go with the chord. Those sort of things you add like as we go along after we hear you know, all the ideas that Joel wants to do. And then we get to those other ideas. Like many of the songs on the album that we've discussed already, Pure Saturation is an example of a band locking into a variety of ideas and inspirations and bringing them to life in the studio. Nostalgia meets the moment, which meets a desire to push beyond what was once thought impossible, but fully realized by a band at the top of their game. Like the entire album, what happens next is anyone's guess. As Pure Saturation has potential in the live setting beyond what we've heard thus far. Yeah, I'm kind of a nostalgic guy when it comes to sounds and chordal schemes. It's like almost like you've heard it before, but then I think the hardest thing to do when writing something simple, because a lot of the music on this new record is is more about the song, you know, and less of less about the flash of, of instrumental prowess. There's an automatic DNA sort of thing when it comes to, you know, your influences that you've been listening to for 40 years or whatever. So a lot of that stuff is just so ingrained into your into your listening habits that it, it sort of surfaces in the writing, you know, just naturally. And also to keep things simple, but then have it be original at the same time because it's hard to write a simple song nowadays and sound original because everything's been said. You know, so many ways you can only do 12 tones so many ways you know everything's been done so it's hard to sound fresh and still keep it simple and and i thought we kind of achieved that a bit on this on this new record especially with stuff like pure saturation kind of harkens back to a, to certain vibes like i was saying decades 90s 80s 70s I was going to say, I feel like there's a little dream pop vibe throughout the record, but definitely on this tune too. And uh, that's something we, we haven't really taken a foray into very much with our original music, but it's, it's definitely a, a running theme. The original title for that song was, If This Tour Doesn't Kill You, I Will. On the next episode of Talking Circles, we'll dive into the next track we discussed from Asking for a Friend during our Red Rocks interview session, Ordinary Times. 
Talking Circles is a production of Osiris Media and Humphreys McGee. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Written and produced by Brian Brinkman, RJB, and Kevin Browning. All interviews and audio used with permission from Humphreys McGee. Osiris.